Conversations on Living is taking a break right now. We'll be back soon with a new season and new ideas for navigating this complex and sometimes difficult thing called life. In the meantime, we're replaying some of our favourite episodes, including this one about Yoga Nidra and the importance of deep, non-sleep rest, with the amazing and erudite Tracy Stanley. Of all the things we can do to nourish ourselves, sleep is perhaps the most vital. Alongside food and hydration, sleep is the thing that helps us to function at our best with clarity and confidence. So vital is it that lack of sleep can slow us down and make life harder. And severe tiredness can also begin to affect our decision-making abilities, our self-esteem, our courage, our grip on reality and even our mental health. Getting enough rest and good quality sleep then should be a crucial part of our toolkit if we are to live and act effectively with conviction and integrity, at our best, moving joyfully towards our potential. At its most fundamental, Yoga Nidra is the practice of sleep. As Tracy Stanley, the world-renowned practitioner of Yoga Nidra, states in her book, Radiant Rest, rest is vital to thriving. But there's more to Yoga Nidra than simply catching some good quality Zs. Through deep relaxation, we gain access to a deeper part of ourselves that is beyond the cognitive mind, beyond language and all its cultural trappings, and beyond all the baggage that we carry with us through life. Normally, we only experience this part of ourselves while we sleep, so we don't remember it when we awake. At best, there is, perhaps, a vague sense of it when we rise from our slumber, or maybe we get to glimpse something profound during particularly deep meditation. But with Yoga Nidra, we are presented with both a process and a state of consciousness that allows us to remain aware while we are in this state. Known as hypnagogia, it not only allows us to come face to face with the void that lies deep within ourselves, transcending duality and connecting us with the infinite universe of which we are so profoundly a part, but it also offers us access to our deep intrinsic and ancient wisdom, returning with insights and clarity otherwise impossible to access. The practical, spiritual and valuable benefits of a practice like this are nothing new. It's an ancient knowledge that has even influenced some of the greatest modern thinkers. Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb for example, was said to take regular naps throughout the day and he would clutch a large metal ball in each hand. As he fell asleep, the balls would fall clattering to the floor, waking him up and he would immediately note down any ideas or visions he had seen in the semi-conscious dreamscape that lies between sleep and awakeness before they evaporated from his memory. Perhaps this is where he got the idea for the light bulb in the first place. Practices such as this can offer us rich, nourishing rest, and they can also offer us guidance from the deepest part of ourselves, something Tracy Stanley refers to as a connection to our inner knowing. Surely getting to know ourselves so intimately, gaining access to a profound knowledge, the light of our souls, that evades us during thinking hours, can only serve to heal our relationship with both ourselves and our day-to-day -day reality. And more than this, to move us towards our ultimate state of being, 
that is, a sense of meaning and purpose to why we are here at all. As Tracy Stanley puts it, Yoga Nidra is a healing salve for the world. And in this conversation, she gives me a beginner's guide to this powerful and useful practice, which can help us show up as our best selves into a reality that is aligned with who we really are. Before we get started, I'll just take a moment to thank the team at Headliner who support this podcast and whose service I use to make the audiograms with which I promote it. You've probably seen them on social media, those waveforms that give a visual representation to the audio of a podcast. And if you want to find out more about those, head over to their website at headliner.app. This is Conversations on Living, the new name for the Being Better podcast. My name is Chris Brock. And now, onto the conversation with Tracy Stanley, author of Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. So Tracy, thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your morning to, to talk with me. I know you're probably very, very busy uh, because your, your new book, Divine Rest, um, it's a, there's a lot of buzz around it at the moment, and it's had some very good reviews, and I'm, I'm sort of part of the way through it right now. And I just, I just want to unlock the power of Yoga Nidra, because I, I haven't, I, I'm relatively new to it, um, but it's something that I've sort of come across in other forms in, in other places. So mm. um, I'm, um, there's, there's a quote by Carl Jung, and he says, um, beneath the threshold of consciousness, everything was seething with life. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a quote that kind of really resonates with me because there's, there's something deeper um, beneath our kind of cognitive state. And it's a kind of um, intrinsic wisdom, I think, that perhaps connects us. And I think it's something that um, many people experience and many people touch on. Um, but I think Yoga Nidra really, from what I've read so far, really gets into it as a kind of a process and a, and a state. Um, so maybe is there a, is there a quick one sentence description of what yoga nidra might might be? Well, you know, you you articulated it so beautifully, um, and it's really what my book Radiant Rest is all about. Um, you know, there is this place that remains veiled to us in the waking state. And the stages of dreaming and sleeping and deep sleep and beyond are portals into this other place where things are revealed to us that are normally not within our awareness. And so I love that you started with this quote from Carl Jung, because it really talks about this other world, this other dimension, this place of inner knowing, this place of self-healing that's available to us, but normally we are asleep to it. And so what yoga nidra is, is yoga nidra is a technique um, that leads you through systematic deep relaxation. It also allows you to move through different brainwave states that we normally don't have access to while we're conscious. Um, And it allows you to eventually kind of let go of this identification with the body, with this physical body, even letting go of identification of the personality and becoming aware that we are more than just this physical body, but we are also energy. We are also prana. There's also 
vital life force. And just allowing ourselves to kind of surrender into the unknown, because we're going into this place that is not the waking state, which is the place that we think we know. And we have to surrender into something new that might feel scary. Um, and when we do that, it allows prana to return back to its source. And our awareness gets to kind of follow that. So yoga nidra is often translated as the yoga of sleep. And it's also known as sleep with a slight trace of awareness. So it's really this practice where you initially, when you first begin, you're being guided by someone to relax the body. And as you do, you really are moving into a place of non-doing and non-thinking. And there's a thread of awareness that travels through the waking state, the dreaming state, the deep sleep state, and the portal towards what's known as the fourth state, which is this place of a void, a place that is both full and empty. And we don't even really have any cognition of the fact that we are there, but we know when we come back, that we've been someplace and that something has shifted. Um, so it's a really deep uh, practice that can be, you know, helpful for people who just need to rest. And also if you're on a spiritual journey and you want to know yourself at the deepest levels, you want to know your true nature and have a taste of that. For me, this is one of the most accessible practices to really deepen your spiritual practice. Because that, I mean, you talk in the book about kind of reaching states of sort of deep bliss, if you like, this kind of blissfulness. Uh, I mean, is that something that you think is severely lacking in our kind of, the kind of surface state that we spend most of our time in and the surface state which gets most of the attention um, in, in modern society? You know, a lot of this, a lot of dream state, when you talk about deeper states of being, a lot of people will roll their eyes and think, well, hang on a minute, we've got, a, we've got the economy to think about. We've got a, I've got a job. I've got to put a roof over my head. This is all a bit, you know, this is fun and everything if you're, if you're a hippie and a bit woo-woo. But actually, <laughs> we've got real stuff to deal with here. And, you know, this is all a bit silly. Yeah, I love um, the question about that perspective. And I think that what I would first say is that, you know, I was the president of a company that was producing 30 films a year and had half a billion dollars worth of financing. And I was using this practice to allow me to be productive, to be clear and to be calm in the midst of turmoil. So this is a practice that is applicable to the real life of a householder who has, uh, you know, a job, has a family, has elders, parents, all sorts of responsibilities um, but at the same time, I really feel like what the world tells us is that all of the bliss and all of the happiness and all of the feeling of being at peace is external, right? It's all something that we have to go outside of us to get. It's the vacation, it's the cool car, it's the big house, it's the cute boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever partner. And the truth of the matter is, is that what I noticed when I was in the film business is that the people who were so successful that you would look at and say, wow, they have everything. 
you know, they're famous, they have all this money, they, but there was not the happiness. There was not the fulfillment. There was not the inner peace. And so the reason that I transitioned my career from being one of a film producer to one that is holding these practices and sharing these practices is because what I realized was there was no amount of money, there was no amount of success that could bring this blissfulness. And what I had experienced in yoga practice in something as simple as a yoga nidra practice that could happen in 15 minutes was this deep sense of inner peace that I actually was able to realize that the peace was inside and that I, if I could just be still for a few moments, if I could just watch my breath for a few moments, if I could just release the tension in my body consciously, if I could just devote myself to intentionally resting, that I could have access to that peace at any time. And that in fact, that peace was my birthright to experience. And that everything in the outside world was always telling us, you're not enough. You're not worthy. You don't have that. You haven't worked hard enough to actually receive any kind of peace or bliss. And so I think that while um, it may seem like something that is very woo-woo, we can ask ourselves, how tired are you? Just ask yourself right now, if you're listening or watching this, are you really rested? When was the last time that you felt truly, truly rested? Because I, this is, I mean, on, on the one aspect, it is about sleep and rest and kind of giving yourself um, the time to kind of rejuvenate yourself, your energy, and to, you know, come back into the world, you know, firing on all, all cylinders. But there's also this, you talk about this portal into this kind of deeper void where this kind of... You know deep wisdom is and this deep kind of natural wisdom is so i mean on the one hand there is very much a kind of physical aspect to it mm -hmm. but then there's also a deeply spiritual aspect to it as well and it makes me think you know everywhere we, we as humans we we tend to or as, as modern humans living in the modern world we tend to compartmentalize stuff so we have you know, your physical health, you have your mental health, you have your, your spiritual health, and often that gets kind of ignored altogether. But actually, mm. they're, they're kind of overlapping. They're, all, they're kind of tied together as, as three parts of the same, the same thing. So if you, if you do kind of nurture yourself physically with rest and exercise and hydration and all of those kind of things, not, not giving into bad habits, uh, and then also nurture yourself spiritually by engaging in a kind of a personal practice of meditation or yoga or, or yoga nidra, whatever it might be, then it, it gives you even more strength to be able to kind of deal with the, the everyday uh, turmoil and trauma and, you know, which you must have dealt with firsthand as a, a film producer. Um, so it is a very practical thing, I guess, in a way. It, it's super practical because I, I feel like what happens is and what I've noticed over the years with sharing these practices is that a lot of people come into the room because they want to rest. They feel exhausted and they know that this practice is something that can help them rest. And then eventually after they do it a few times or they say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to do this like three times a week. I get emails and they say, wow, I've had 
these memories that have come to me and I've realized this or that, and I'm going to work with this with my therapist, or I've got this amazing creative idea that just came, seemed to come out of nowhere, or I've realized how I'm holding myself back. And so it begins as this practice that is like, oh, I just want to access rest in a short amount of time. I want to be able to have that feeling that I went to sleep for three hours, but only do a practice for 20 minutes. And then eventually it becomes a tool of healing and a tool of awakening. Um, And that's not something that anybody has to tell you, you know, you don't have to subscribe to, okay, we're going to go on a spiritual journey. It's like, we're just going to go on a journey of rest. And if you can commit to that a couple of times a week, then you get to see what happens. And the people around you are going to start to notice what, what are you doing? You look more vibrant. You seem more happy. You seem more at peace. It's just a practice that, that works because it's the thing that we happen to need most right now is really um, deep relaxation. I mean, do you think there is a sense of this whole, um, you know, the reason we're so kind of strung out all the time and tired is because we're fighting with what is, you know, Byron Katie talks, uh, she said that, um, you know, when I, when I fight with reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time, you know, it's, is it just literally a deep sense of letting go and just acceptance or is, is there more to it than that? Well, there, there, it depends on the person. And that's why I think this practice is so beautiful is because it's, it is as unique as our individual experiences are unique we get to definitely see where we are resisting rest. And we can think about um, things like how was rest modeled for us by our parents or the people who raised us? What are the messages that we have gotten about rest from society and our workplace? And if we were going to change the legacy of our family lineage around rest, how would we start? I mean, because we're, we're tired. <laughs> we are tired. But I mean, how do you draw the line between, and, and this is something I, I've kind of, I'm, I'm struggling with at the moment, because I'm really trying to prioritize kind of self-care and, and mm-hmm. taking time to meditate and to, you know, just pause from all the worries and the, the thinking and everything else. But where do we draw the line between, okay, I still have to be, you know, productive and, but if I'm saying, actually, no, I'm going to take five minutes, half a day or, you know, a couple of days to go and, and work on myself so I can be more productive. And then three days later, I come back and, you know, the, my to-do list has got much longer. And, you know, how, how, how do we know when we're being self-indulgent and lazy, if you like? I love we, this question. <laughs> you know, how, how do we use it kind of mindfully, I, I guess, is the, the thing. Yeah. I think the first thing is, is that we have to do a complete reframe around this idea of rest as self-indulgent or lazy, because that is what the world wants you to believe. Because if you're subscribing to this idea that, oh, if I take a break or if I rest, I'm lazy, that means you just keep going into the rat race. You're just continuing the grind, right? We call that grind culture. Yeah. And so if we can start to shift our belief around rest being lazy, 
And rest actually being a key ingredient of nurturing and healing and vibrancy, the same way that eating is, right? The same way as you sleeping at night is. Then we start to feel like, oh, we can create more space to prioritize our devotion to rest. So the question is, what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to being healed? Are you devoted to being radiant? Are you devoted to being successful and abundant? Because rest brings all of those things. Rest is actually productive because what happens when you're deeply rested is instead of being in the mind all the time and thinking about problems from A to Z and having to go through all these different steps to get to the final solution, you have such a sense of clarity and vision that is not always found in the waking state, that you actually can go from A to Z in a shortcut without having to even think about all the little steps. And then you start to move from this place of being in this routine of thinking and doing things the same way over and over and over again, the same way, the same method to being an innovator, to being a creative. And I think that that to me is the kind of productivity, the kind of abundant uh, and fun work that I want to do because then it's not necessarily work anymore. It's like this divine play with the universe where you get to have these downloads that drop in that are inspired. So, I mean, it makes me think of Thomas Edison a little bit. There's there's stories that he used to nap multiple times a day and he would hold these metal balls in his hands. And at the point where he was about to fall asleep, he would obviously let go of the metal balls and they would crash to the floor and wake him up. And he would you know, there, there are stories that he would come back with great um, visions and ideas for his inventions and, and things like this that, you know, came to him from this, the kind of darker void. And, you know, people have called it a hip, hypno, is it hypnagogic? Hip, hypnagogic state, yes. Yeah, is it the same thing or is this something? 100%. It is the okay. exact same thing. And so I talk about this in my book because I first learned about it in uh, Matthew Walker's book, uh, Why We Sleep. And then I started doing more research about it. And I also found out that Einstein did something very similar. Okay, I didn't know that. And so what they were doing, in my opinion, is they were aware that there was a space between waking and sleeping that we know is hypnagogic state. What Yoga Nidra asks you to do is to basically, the practice is practicing being awake and aware in that hypnagogic state and maintaining consciousness throughout it. So what they were doing is they were allowing themselves to fall asleep. Those balls would hit the metal plate and they would wake up and they would start writing down everything that came in those moments. So imagine being able to stay in a state of awareness while you're traveling through hypnagogia right? Moving then perhaps into the dream state and still being awake and aware. And then being in the deep, deep sleep state and being awake and aware and letting that thread through the entire journey. And then part of the reason why I always um, ask for people to journal or free write 
or draw immediately after coming out of this space of yoga nidra practice is because now you're in the hypnopompic state, which is that state between sleeping and waking, which also is another portal of wisdom. And so when we, when we, you know, write down, we draw, we journal, we have this ability to remember, right? To hold on to the sweet fragrance and all of the wisdom that comes from the practice during that state that we would normally forget when we come back into the waking state because we're so concerned with doing and thinking and getting back into the personality that we forget all of the beautiful epiphanies that happen. So you're right on target that this is exactly what they were doing. They had, in my opinion, I believe that they had inadvertently discovered a state of yoga nidra, a portal to this place of creativity. Do you think, I mean, is it just something literally we are, when we we practice yoga nidra and you're getting into this you is it as simple as just kind of getting underneath the ego is it is it that the ego is there as the kind of you know that your personality and your your fears and your worries and all of this kind of stuff is that literally just kind of like a big doorman on a nightclub just standing in the way from all the bliss and the joy and your your true wisdom that you and you know your full potential is that is that what you're we're doing or is there is it more There's, nuanced than that you know it's it's very close um we have these co- things called koshas that are part of our energetic body and those koshas are considered to be layers or sheaths um sometimes even translated as she who measures and so if they're coverings or layers or sheaths the question is what is it that they're covering And the teachings say that they're covering the light of the soul. They're covering this part of us that is always awake, always powerful, always radiant, always knowing. That place that has been there before we had a name will be there when we no longer have a body. It's eternal. And yet we don't know that it's there because we're too busy looking outside to find it to find the power, to find the radiance, to find the beauty. And we want to be able to direct ourselves inward. And when we do, you know, these koshas are made up of what's called anamaya kosha, which is like the food body, right? And so that's the physical body that I referred to earlier. And then we have this pranic body, this body of energy. And then there's a body of mental, you know, body of thoughts. And then there's the body of wisdom. And then there's the body of bliss. And some teachings even say that there's the body of the ego. But the journey of yoga is for us to transcend these koshas so that we can touch or just taste that inner wisdom, that light that is being covered. And it's not a linear journey necessarily. You could, I've had many students who have gone down into yoga nidra and it was their first time doing it. And they've had a radically awakening and powerful experience where they've touched that bliss. So what I would say is, yes, we get to see and feel and sense all of the things that are not truly us, 
all of the things that are not truly that light of the soul, whether they be our traumas, our memories, our belief systems, our ego, so all those things make up our ego, our personality. We get to see them as we take this journey through Yoga Nidra. And then we get to have the choice to be able to hold on to them or to release slowly and let go and surrender a little bit more and a little bit more so that we can move towards the power of who we really are. I um, had a conversation with Martha Beck, um, I think it was last year, and she talks about um, a kind of meditative state that she calls wordlessness. Mm. And you talk uh, in the book about um, kind of going, knowing beyond words and going beyond words and that kind of thing. And I've meditated myself where I've kind of tried to move beyond words. And I think, I mean, when I think, I think in words. And with words come, um, you know, there, there's culture comes with words. There's, you know, words are a product of society and we learn them at a very young age. Um, and they are, they're very dominant. And then there's this, she talks about get, getting into wordlessness, dropping in to wordlessness. And when you get very good at it, you can just drop into wordlessness. And you talked about um, the Swami who uh, they connected him up to the EEG machines and he could, mm -hmm. um, you know, drop into a kind of state of Delta. Is it Delta brainwaves? It was um, Delta. Yeah. 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 At, at will. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there's a kind of um, a, a parallel here, this kind of sense of going beyond what we start to learn from the moment we're born and getting back into this kind of natural, you know, touching that, that fire, that light almost um, mm. that we came into the world with when we, you know, wherever we came from that we, we were kind of pushed into this plane with this, this light that we've then started to cover up. And, and, and before, um, when you were talking about the koshas, before I started to read into them, I kind of thought, well, are these koshas that cover that light? Are they our, our baggage? You know, are they the traumas and our culture and, um, you know, our linguistic uh, biases that get put on top of us? You know, is, is that what we're trying to undo here, undo all of this programming and all this kind of pain mm. that we accrue and this baggage and all of this kind of stuff as well? Are we trying to get back to that pure sense of who we are? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not only the baggage, but it's, you know, our, this idea around samskaras, um, which are mental impressions, it's everything that's ever happened to us kind of begins to form a, let's say a film on our windscreen of vision and feeling and sensing. And we take those impressions and we put them in categories of kind of good, bad, and neutral. So what's, in the space of the koshas and the subtle bodies is everything that's ever happened to us. Everything that's been good, everything that's been bad, everything that's been neutral. And so the idea is that we get to transcend all of it. Not this, not that. So we're, and it be, yeah, so we're literally kind of letting it all dissolve away almost. It's, it's a dissolution. So yoga nidra is a dissolution practice. It is a practice of what's called laya yoga. And it is also a practice of uh, pratyahara, which is the fifth limb of yoga. And we can define pratyahara, Swami Veda Bharati defined it as the 
withdrawal of the senses so that we can re-assimilate into our true nature. The withdrawal of the senses so that we can return back to source. So we literally are withdrawing all of the senses that lead to thought, right? All of the sounds. Okay, what do I think about that sound? Oh, it's a little cold in this room. What do I feel? What do I feel about that? What do I see? We're withdrawing all of the senses inward so that we can reassimilate into our true nature. And Yoga Nidra is literally the queen of Pratyahara practices. You talked about um, Yoga Nidra as being a goddess and being a, a very kind of feminine energy. And I, I wonder, I wonder what, I kind of struggle with the whole idea of masculine and feminine energies, and I don't really understand what it means particularly. I, I know, and I know we all have masculine energy. There's kind of feminine parts of us. There's, you know, and, and so it'd be good to understand what you mean by yoga nidra as being a goddess, if you like, is it, is it almost like a guide, someone who, you know, nurtures us and leads us? Mm. That's a wonderful question. I'm so glad that you asked it. So Yoga Nidra is spoken about in the Devi Mahatma as a goddess, as the one who has the Shakti or the power of sleep and repose, right? So we can talk from a, speak from a historical level that Yoga Nidra is written about in these texts as a goddess. And then we can also think about our own personal relationship to the feminine and how we want to think about a goddess, because a lot of times it feels like, oh, I don't, I don't have that idea of, is this a person who's like floating around and, you know, what, I'm trying to personify this idea of yoga nidra. And so if we just think about how yoga nidra was described in the hymns and the songs to her, she was described as one who was radiant, one who was full, one who was nurturing, one who had these moon-like qualities. And so we can also think about the goddess as the earth. The earth is literally the most nurturing, abundant, unconditionally loving, and also holding towards us. And the thing that we need most when we are practicing yoga nidra is a safe, comfortable, and steady place to be held in our practice. Because if we're going to literally drop all of the tension and release it all, not only do we need a place where this energy can be composted into, but we need something and someone or an entity that we trust to be able to hold us. And to me, that is the energy of the goddess. Right? It's not about it necessarily being, you know, this personified version of, uh, you know, a goddess. Yeah. It's really the energy. And so as you're thinking about, maybe even close your eyes, is that when you think about nurturing, when you think about being unconditionally held, maybe you can even start to feel that feeling of being nurtured and being held. What is the first thing that comes into your awareness? I, th I think m mother. I think that's what I think. 
you know that's it's uh but i also um for some reason i think of when i think of mother i think of mother trees as well so i'm a Beautiful. a bit of a, a forest kind of buff i'm a bit of a nomophilist and nomophilist and um i've been studying shinrin yoku and all of these kind of things as well beautiful and so that that's your place you can think about a canopy of trees that is protecting you or a grove of trees or that sacred space that you found that just brought you into so much awe and maybe even tears when you came upon it in the forest as your place of nurturing as your goddess. Is there a sense, I mean, you talk about the, the place you go to, the portal into that, you know, Yoga Nidra being the portal into the, the place that has everything but nothing, you know, the void of darkness, if you like, complete silence if you like and that that place is a place of non-duality where you become one with the universe and you also talk about kind of connecting with god connecting with the divine and then you you just talked about um you know the goddess yoga nidra being whatever is safe for you is there a sense that you know the the wisdom of the universe and this this place of of being connected with the divine is actually within us. So we're not connecting to something outside of us, but that in a way the, the universe is within us. We are all within each other. We're all part of the same, you know, life force, if you like. I don't want to get too, too <laughs> um, metaphysical or, or, or woo-woo on it, but is, is there a sense that, you know, God is inside us. You know, we've created God in our image and um, and we all exist within each other. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this goes back to exactly what I was talking about earlier is that we're, we're constantly being directed to look outward. And the tantric teachings would tell you that everything that exists in the outer universe also exists within us. And science has backed us up. We, we are made of starlight right? Everything that's in the stars is also in our body. So we are, we have our own internal universe. And some of the Tantra teachings would also say that instead of trying to change the universe outside of you, explore the inner universe, explore the elements within you so that you can then have an understanding of what's outside of you. You can begin to shift this inner universe and make an outward shift. So the answer to that question, I feel like, is yes. This is where we have to keep going, is inward and releasing and letting go of our thought constructs and really asking with curiosity and courage and questioning the beliefs that you've hold, held for so long and question, where did they come from? Are they even my own beliefs? How do I know them to be true? It's, it's really interesting There's, because you do talk a lot about science in the book and you, 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 know, you don't just kind of make a, a kind of fleeting reference to science. You actually back it up with real studies and that kind of thing. And um, there does seem to be an increasing alignment with modern science and ancient wisdom. And even to the point where, you know, Alan Watts is famous for saying, um, you know, you are the universe experiencing itself. Mm -hmm. And the, 
there's the, I forget his name now, but there's a scientist who coined the term black holes. So he's an astrophysicist and he came up with a, a theory for the, for the universe. And I think it's called an, um, a, uh, experiential model that we, the universe only exists as we observe it. It's a bit like the tree falling in the forest that does it That's make right. a sound. And, um, this aligns with the whole concept that we, things are made real by our conscious awareness of them. Um, which goes into kind of ideas of Ubuntu and all this kind of thing. You know, you you are there, here I am, that kind of thing. I see you, and because you see me, I am real, all of this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but, I mean, is there a, a sense that the deeper we go inside, inside within us, the more it influences the world around us? Are we, you know, creating our reality by digging deep into our into ourselves absolutely you 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 are able to shift your own inner universe and it will be reflected outward um there is no question about that and i think the first way in which a lot of times we get to see that is we get to see how we have constructed our own beliefs around false information or things that have been misunderstood and then we get to feel like, okay, how do I dismantle this belief within myself? How do I start to see the truth, understand what the truth is? And then when you go out into the world, you can do that at a bigger level because you know how. It's like you, once you know how to heal yourself, you know how to heal another heart. Yeah. And so, you know, just going back to the science, yes, all of these things are starting to be backed up by science. So, the yogis and the rishis and rishikas who were the original seers of yoga would do these 40-day sadhana practices. And now we know that it takes anywhere from 21 to 60 days to change a habit, to change the neural pathways in the brain. So there is some science already around this idea of doing something consistently with reverence at the same time, same place as we read in the scriptures that were written thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, anybody who listens to Neil deGrasse Tyson speak about the universe, if you've been doing studies in spirituality or studies in yoga, you start to hear these things that sound very familiar, but yet he's speaking about the universe. He's really speaking about us. That's yeah. what I feel. You know, it's like this idea of being able to go from A to Z without going through all of the steps is literally like string theory. It's like moving through the black hole or the wormhole to be able to find, arrive at another place in an instant instead of having to take three hours to get there. That's the kind of creativity and wisdom and downloads that happen in yoga nidra practice. There's... um. Einstein, there's a, I mean, I, I try not to quote Einstein if I can avoid it because there's so many things that are attributed to Einstein that he, he never said. He never said. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's one quote that's, that, um, that is attributed to him. And I think it's, I think he actually said it, but um, it's something along the lines of, we have to decide whether the universe is friendly or whether it's hostile. And you, when you when you say this to people people say well how can it be hostile or friendly it's just just is but people seem to forget it's, it's about the decision so if we decide something is friendly then we go around 
it, and we behave in a way that, um, you know, if I, if I decide that life is joyful and has my best interests, then I will behave in a way that reflects that. But if I decide that lo- the world is hostile, I'm going to be mm-hmm. you know, fearful and I'm going to be, and, you know, my life will reflect that as well. So we have this, we have a choice in how we, we see things and that perspective influences our the world around us and the way we in, interact with it and our and our results you know if you if you smile at people they're going to smile back more often than not you know is that what we're doing with yoga nidra is it that we're shifting our own energy and then that energy is getting reflected back to us in a much more kind of positive way where we're making a gentler world for ourselves as individuals and then that spreads you know i think the thing is is that we're becoming aware of oh, my mind is actually hostile or my mind is actually joyful, Yeah. right? So you get, to, you get to see the truth of your own thoughts. And that's not to say that you can completely shift your world because obviously the, uh, there are many forces of oppression and systemic racism and other things that are overlaid on top of our lives that are the very things that need to be dismantled. But when we understand that, oh, my mind is hostile, I want to change that because that's the decision that you need to make is that I want to change that. I want to understand what is the source of my hostile thinking? What is the source of the pain in my heart? And do I want to heal that? And there's so many ways in which you can do that with yoga and you know, psychotherapy together and meditation and journaling. And when you begin to do that, because it's work, it's not just about like kind of sitting on the mat or and you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory in the morning. It's really the work of kind of really looking and unflinchingly being able to really look at the truth of who you are as this personality and the things that have made up this personality and how you can allow yourself uh, to shift those thoughts, right? And when you do, then the universe starts to shift. I mean, then you, you have a different vibration, really. You know, your vibration is going to attract keep certain people to you who are attracted to that vibration, certain circumstances to you. And then of course you have to deal with everything else. That is the truth of the vibration of what's happening in the outer world as well. I mean, it's, that can be quite a frightening thing that demands courage, you know, not only, you know, because it's very easy to blame the outside world for our unhappiness and our, you know, I'm, I'm overweight because there's a, there's a McDonald's just, you know, two doors away from me and, you know, life is hard and it's so unfair. But we, when you turn that light on yourself, you must be prepared to see things you don't necessarily want to see. And that, Absolutely. that can be quite daunting, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially when we've been brought up in this culture of, you know, everything, you know, you, you're being validated by everything out, out there, you know, and the quality of your life is actually based on how much money you have in the bank and, um, whether or not you can wear that bikini to the beach or whatever it is, um, it it takes courage. And how do you find that courage when you're when everything is falling apart around you? Mm. Mm. You know, I had a teacher once who said, um, "You can either choose to make the choice now to change, 
or you can wait until the pain of not changing becomes too great. So you have to make the choice. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's, you know, it's like saying, you know, you don't wait until you're thirsty to dig your well, you know. Um, you, right, you right. Exactly. And, yeah. And then, but there's also this sense of, you know, when you are talking about something deeply spiritual in a, in a not deeply spiritual world, there's also that kind of courage to let go of your preconceived notions about what's normal, perhaps what's not normal. You know, what, what will people think of me when I tell them I'm doing this kind of, you know, trying to access the, the, the light of my soul, you know, it's. And you know what I say to that is who cares what they think? Yeah. Who cares what they think? Are, are you interested in being free? Are you interested in being joyful and being inspired and being abundant and being who you are meant to be on this earth in your, this unique incarnation? Or are you interested in yet another projection from someone else who hasn't yet understood that they have the power within them as well to be their best self? So you get to decide. Stephen Pressfield talked about, um, uh, apparently there's a, there's a belief in Kabbalah, I think it is, that above all of us, above every living thing, there are angels beckoning mm. us. And mm. above every blade of grass, there are you know, a thousand angels saying, grow, grow. Is this a, and I'm, I'm sure that's a kind of metaphor, you know, but is this a way to kind of connect with those angels who are saying, you have a, you have a potential and this is, you know, your potential is buried underneath this fear and underneath the koshas and underneath everything else. Um, but you have to, if you really want to have a blissful, joyful life, you have to connect with that potential, the light of your soul, and kind of let it shine as brightly as you possibly can. Is this, a, is this what this is about, of, of really knowing what it is to live? Mm. You know, I've never heard that teaching from the Kabbalah, but I love, I love that because it really connects to this idea of our ancestors, right? That we are, yes, we are our ancestors' trauma, right? Because that's in our DNA. That's something that, you know, indigenous people have been connecting with ancestors for eons. But now we're actually understanding the science of epigenetics that tells us that we carry the DNA from our, and the trauma also from our ancestors in our DNA. So if we carry their trauma, we also carry their prayers. And if their prayers is in, are in our DNA, that means that they are the angels. They are the ones who are saying, grow, we see your light. We know your potential. I believe that we're here on this earth to realize our potential and to also realize the things that hold us back from that reaching that potential. That's part of the journey that takes the courage, you yeah. know? And I think that's why yoga nidra is such a beautiful practice. This deep relaxation practice, because it allows us to rest and receive this deep, deep healing and sleep and dreams and rest and all of it while we are slowly starting to excavate everything that is not us, seeing it and then surrendering it and then allowing ourselves to move closer and closer to the truth and the power of who we really are. And that, I mean, it requires a, 
a profound letting go, doesn't it? A profound release almost. Just like that same kind of release when we go to sleep, we, we lie in bed and we allow sleep to take us. Um, and we have faith that we will be awake again in the morning. And, you know, this isn't the end. We are, we will be reborn in the morning as, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully as a, a better version of ourselves, but at the very least a more rested version of ourselves. Mm. That kind of faith that, you know, in letting go, you, you talked about the kind of um, doing, the doing of non-doing, if you like. I mean, that in itself is like, you know, a, a difficult thing to come to terms with. It's, it's like thinking about not thinking, you know. How do you, how, how do you take the first steps to, toward doing that? How to, to just look mm. at releasing? You, you know, those are the first steps of the yoga nidra practice. So, you know, we can talk about yoga nidra as a technique, and we can talk about yoga nidra as a state of consciousness, that state of consciousness that is said to be peace beyond words, which is very similar to what you were talking about uh, with your Martha Beck interview. It's also said to be a place of near vikalpa, which means no thought, right? So it's a place of non-doing, no thought, and it's not even about, I'm thinking about not thinking anything. It's literally, you move into this portal of just absolute silence. And there's very little awareness there until you come back from it. It's not something that can even really be described, right? It's like, you know that you have moved into a space and that you have come back from it and that you are changed, right? And and we may go into this place when we actually go to sleep right at night, but we don't weave our consciousness. We don't weave that wakefulness when we're sleeping. We are completely, you know, people will say, oh, I was dead to the world, right? You're dead to the world, but in Yoga Nidra, you are awake to the infinite. I suppose, yeah, that's Pratyahara, isn't it? You're, you're, you're dead to the, dead to your senses of the, of the world. And it's, in here there's you know you're released into whatever it is your intuition or your you know your deeper wisdom or whatever that is yeah and the wisdom comes back with you the wisdom is like a fragrance that comes back with you and if you if you can catch it in that space of hypnopompic state because you're journaling or you're you know writing or drawing whatever you're doing then you get to hold on to it Right. If you turn over from the practice and just go on about your day, tendency is it's going to somehow get lost. So it's really important for us to have some sort of writing practice or journaling practice after meditation practices or deep relaxation or yoga nidra practices, because a lot of times those epiphanies just dissolve. They're so subtle. I mean, do you have those epiphanies every time or is it just something that happens because because I meditate try and meditate daily but I, I would say only a handful of times in the last five years have I had profound visions or you know mm. messages arise from my my inner wisdom if you like whatever that is does it get I, it does I think that you know for me that I I wrote the book from this place you know, so one of the things I felt like I need to take my personality out of this, 
you know, kind of process because I want this to feel and be really like you're holding the state of yoga nidra or the goddess in your hands. And so my process was I would go into yoga nidra and then I would start to write. And then I would also go back to all of my journals that of the many years that I've been doing yoga nidra and writing right after practice. And there's always some wisdom that comes through. Um, it may not be the biggest incredible epiphany or the most incredible, you know, visualization or, you know, something, but there's always something, whatever it is on the day, there's something there that informs my day. There's like a message of the heart that comes forward that helps me to move through my day with a contemplation that came from my own practice. I love it. I, I think, um, I know we're running out of time, but I just think it's, it's something that's deeply spiritual, but deeply practical, incredibly useful. And to a certain extent, I think kind of vital, I think to, to, to have the full human experience. Um, you know, the, beyond just our day jobs and our, you know, commercialism and materialism and everything else. It's, it's a kind of vital part of who we are to be able to kind of at least recognize that, if, even if we can't tap into it. Um, but yeah, so, well, I, I will leave it there because I know we are coming up against our, our kind of time. So I'm very grateful for this. And I'm, it's something I think I'm going to have to practice more and more because it does sound, you know, you talk at the beginning of the book that it, it promises, um, a sort of connection with your own deeper power and um and that's something that uh, it's it's a kind of a promise i can't refuse you know it's very very alluring that, that so i really you know appreciate that that technique and i appreciate what you're giving to the world with the book as well so thank you mm. so much for that and yeah, thank if you. um if anybody wants to find out uh, about the work you're doing and your book and yoga need uh what, what's the best place for them to to look mm. Uh, so the best place to find information about the book is radiantrest.com. Um, the great thing about the book is it comes with the free six um, downloadable or streamable practices like right away. Um, so if you go to page 120 in the book, you can get the links and you can be doing the practices. Um, my other website is tracyyoga.com and that's where all of my events and things uh, are happening over there. Um, but yeah, the uh, practice, I would say, try the practice and give it a try. You won't be disappointed. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. And um, I, I could have gone on for a, a, many more hours because it's deeply fascinating for me. But um, I appreciate your time today. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. So there we are such generous insight into a practice that promises so much and which is certainly worthy of exploration if we want to enjoy life at its most joyful or at the very least get some more rest if you want to find out more about tracy's book radiant rest yoga nidra for deep relaxation and awakened clarity it can be found in all good book retail places online or in real life or you can check out www.radiantrest.com you can also find out more about Tracy and her work at www.tracyyoga.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-E, yoga.com. 
Thank you for listening, and if you're interested in other explorations of life and how to live it in the most fulfilling ways, then have a listen to some of the other episodes and the conversations that I've had with uh, people who are monks, there are meditators, fear experts, happiness experts, entrepreneurs, authors, dancers, brewers, uh, sausage makers, actors, and many, many interesting people all talking about what the secret to a happy, meaningful and successful life is to taking ownership and carving your own groove. And while you're at it, why not subscribe, rate and review if you found it enjoyable. This podcast is, after all, made with love. For more information about the podcast, head over to conversationsonliving.com and you can find out more about my work, my writing and my books at www.chrisbrock.uk. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Brock. This has been Conversations on Living. Thank you.